Man, I like that last one. That's good, huh? That's good. Any of you got to meet a fellow named Rady before? Rady, R-A-D-Y. He, uh, he started coming to our church a little while back. He's in the youth group now. He, he's in a while when he first started coming. He's got a little brother named Bryce. Bryce is actually his bigger brother. If you have brothers, you know how that goes. I'm the older brother, but the smaller brother. So Bryce is the bigger brother um, and the younger. But Rady is the older brother. Uh, Rady's, Rady's got some uh, mental handicap disabilities. He was the fellow sitting next to me tonight when he came in. Pretty excited to be here. So if you get to see him and meet him, he's a good fellow to talk to. At the end of that song that we just sang, he just put his arm around my shoulder. He said, man, are you, you okay? And I mean, I couldn't tell him. I didn't have long enough to talk about a couple of things that are on my heart right now. And uh, he just put his arm around me and started praying for me. Isn't that pretty cool? So, yeah, sir. So I'm kind of a little Habakkuk is a book in the Old Testament, short book, only three chapters long. Um, in fact, there's some uh, good debate going on in Old Testament seminary classes as to how you pronounce this guy's name. Is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? We really did talk about that in seminary class. I loved Hebrew, but I wasn't good enough to know the difference there, so I just, I just called it Habakkuk like my professor did and hope that was good enough for the test I had to take. But even if uh, you don't know much about this guy or much about this book, his, uh, his book, though it's small, contains a very powerful, profound message, a message that stood the test of time. We, we categorize Habakkuk as a minor prophet, but the minor prophets still had a major message to share and to present. And uh, we, we're familiar with people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel because they had the, the longer books in the Old Testament. We call them the major prophets. But when it comes to these lesser-known guys, we just think, all right, you know, when it comes time in the Sunday school quarterly for us to make it through the minor prophets, there's too much history for us to keep in mind and too many timelines and understanding of the history of the world when they were prophesying. Let's just, let's just kind of skip over those and we'll make it through that. But I don't want us to do that tonight, and here's why. In the book of Habakkuk, there is a verse that is quoted three times in the New Testament. And this verse is quoted to present a timeless truth from the Lord. It's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and we're actually going to read verses 1 through 4 in Habakkuk chapter 2 tonight. But before I, I read these verses, just allow me to share a few things with you about Habakkuk and about this book. Uh, Habakkuk, we don't know much about in a personal sense. Some of the, even the minor prophets were able to piece together uh, uh, the puzzle from just some tidbit information that's given we don't really have a whole lot when it comes to Habakkuk himself. The best we can do is put him in the same uh, uh, timeline and category as the prophet Jeremiah and others who were foretelling the destruction, the, the soon coming destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And Habakkuk in his book is given a vision from the Lord. The vision 
is of the judgment that's coming on the city of Jerusalem, on God's people, the Jews. These Jews were going to be led away into captivity by the Babylonians because they had not obeyed the word of the Lord. You remember in our study of Deuteronomy, if you've been in Sunday school the past, past couple of months, that Moses would continually tell the people, if, if you will follow the Lord, if you will keep his word, then you will have life, you will have blessing. If you fail to keep his word, then all the curses that are written in this book are going to come upon you, right? This prophecy that Habakkuk gives is a foretelling of the curses that are going to come upon God's people because they failed to obey his word. And when Habakkuk receives this word from the Lord in chapter 1 of his prophecy, he's a little taken aback by it. I mean, Jeremiah was as well. How could these Babylonians, these ungodly pagan worshipers who lived immoral lifestyles and worshipped idols, how could they be the ones to bring judgment on God's people? And uh, Habakkuk even kind of questions God. He even almost uh, accuses him of not doing the right thing, but does so respectfully, and it's just because he doesn't understand in his heart what God is doing with bringing judgment upon his people. And so as Habakkuk addresses God with his concern, the Lord speaks to him again, and Habakkuk answers the Lord again by saying, well, well, Lord, if you're going to bring judgment on our people, and then later you're going to bring judgment on the Babylonians, then how do we know that you are a good God that we can trust and depend on? How do we know that you're not just going to turn your back on us or strike us down with curses when we do something wrong? Are you just in heaven seated up there to stamp out evil and to stomp out evildoers? Or do you truly love the people on this earth? And the Lord gave his answer to Habakkuk the prophet, uh, starting in chapter 2, verse 4. So we're going to read, uh, read these first four verses of Habakkuk chapter 2, and hopefully you'll kind of get uh, the idea, the, the circumstance in which Habakkuk finds himself as a prophet. Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Right? So this is Habakkuk saying, I've talked back to God. I mean, respectfully, he was saying, God, why in the world are you bringing judgment upon us through the Babylonians? God said, because the people have disobeyed. And then Habakkuk said, well, God, this just doesn't make sense. The Lord said, I am bringing judgment not just upon the Jews now for what they've done wrong, but later for the Babylonians for what they've done wrong as well. And Habakkuk still is just, he's a little upset by this. And so he's, he's saying that he's going to wait, he's going to listen, he's going to watch to see what the Lord will show him in this vision and how the Lord will speak to him so that he can be corrected. He knows there's something wrong with his understanding. Verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. That the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. 
And I'm going to stop there before we get to verse 4 so that hopefully you can understand this context a little bit better. The Lord begins to answer Habakkuk's concern and he tells him, listen, I don't want you to just hear what I'm saying yourself. I want you to write this down so that the people who come behind you can hear it plainly and clearly as well. So he says, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets. And this is an interesting thing for God to say because at this point, it's not like the only writing utensils and recording utensils they have are chisels and rocks. Okay, they, They've got some other writing instruments, quills and parchment and, and things like that, that they could write down on at this point in history. But the Lord tells him, inscribe it on tablets. In other words, make it concrete so that it cannot be removed. So it's almost the equivalent of God telling Habakkuk, listen, don't write this down lightly in pencil. Take the most solid, enduring, permanent ink pen you can find and put it down. Because I'm not changing my mind and what I say I'm going to do. And then he gives him the reason for it. He says, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets so that the one who reads it may run. The one who reads it may run. And there are several different ideas that people have, have thought of here about why God would say to Habakkuk, write this down so that the one who reads it might run. The first thought is that the, the herald or the messenger may run, the, the one who reads it. Uh, oftentimes, if a dignitary or a king was going to give a message to somebody, they would write it down and they would send their ambassador, their messenger, as quickly as possible to go tell the people. So some folks have read this and thought, well, God's telling Habakkuk, write it down and give it to the people as quickly as possible. Uh, another interpretation or idea is that the, the reader is the one who is supposed to run across the lines and understand it. Uh, that the reader may run across the lines of writing and, and understand so that it could be read at a glance, read readily, uh, something easily read. It, it would be clear, wouldn't be confusing. So people, when, the, when they read this message that Habakkuk wrote, would be able to just read it over quickly and then move on. Others think that it is a warning to flee Jerusalem. This is what I think, by the way. That the dweller at Jerusalem may run, flee from the incoming invasion of the Babylonians. Here's why I think that the Lord was giving this word to Habakkuk. When the Babylonians were going to come into Jerusalem, they were pretty much going to lay waste to the city. I mean, it, they do a couple of uh, campaigns before the final destruction as they pull away captives and you know, people in charge and they take away the wealthy and the rich and they leave some of those that have been oppressed. But as they come back in a second wave and eventually a third wave, there is nothing left in Jerusalem whatsoever to speak of. I mean, you've seen some of the pictures on the news recently of places in Syria where bombing's been taking place and families and uh, have just left the area. Businesses are shut down. The only people that are there are people up to no good or people that have nowhere else to go or people that are fighting and trying to kill each other. This is kind of what Jerusalem was going to look like when the Babylonians were done with it. And if you'll remember, Habakkuk was just so upset. Why would such a loving God bring judgment upon his chosen people that he said he loves more than anything? 
And the Lord gives Habakkuk this word of warning. And not just for Habakkuk himself, but for others as well. Destruction is coming. The Babylonians are coming. When they read this message that Habakkuk wrote, the one thing that they could have done at that point was not repent of their sins and go through this great religious revival. Josiah had done that already, and still people had forsaken God's word. The best thing they could do at that point was to leave, was to flee the city and get out. This was God's mercy towards Habakkuk and towards his people. Judgment is coming. You have not obeyed my word. Destruction is coming. You have not listened to me. The curses I told you about are about to fall upon you and upon your, uh, this people. But still, God gave them mercy and, and a chance for their lives to be spared. Isn't this beautiful to think about? Habakkuk's going, God, why would you do this? God, why in the world? And then the Lord says, Habakkuk, write this down. Because when you write down this destruction, this judgment that's coming, I want people to read it and know that they still have hope if they'll get out of the city and run for their lives. Their lives will be spared. They'll be kept safe. They'll be kept alive. This, uh, this judgment, that interesting. Habakkuk doesn't really have an exact, precise timeline for it. Uh, the Lord says on one hand, though it tarries, wait for it. In other words, it's, it's not here yet. Just, just wait. It's going to happen. What I've said is going to happen. And then on the other hand, he says, it certainly will come. It will not delay. It's almost like the, this dual idea. God says, Habakkuk, I know it probably doesn't look like it at this point. You know, Josiah's dead. You guys have mourned the loss of a great and wonderful king. And you think everything's okay for now, but I'm telling you, it's not. And on the other hand, the Lord is telling Habakkuk and these people in Jerusalem, look, th this is coming quicker than you think. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready. The judgment that I promised is coming. It's going to befall. And we can kind of relate to this, I think, as Christians, can't we? We're told in the New Testament that Jesus is coming back. Just wait patiently. He's coming back. And at the same time, we're told Jesus is coming quickly. So this is kind of the, the same idea that Habakkuk is presented with when it comes to the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. You've got to wait, but it's coming quickly. It might sound... Uh, like a completely opposite uh, way to state this judgment that's coming. But Habakkuk, as well as the others who read it, knew what the Lord was talking about. His word was going to pass in his own time, and they needed to be ready for his word to pass. The vision was for the appointed time. It, it hastened toward the goal. It wouldn't fail. Remember, this, this prophecy was to be inscribed in stone. And then the Lord gave this word to Habakkuk to share with the people. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. And it's that part of the verse that's quoted three times in the New Testament. We read it this morning in Sunday school and in the morning worship service, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Paul also used it again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And Paul, or if you think somebody else wrote Hebrews, used it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. In Romans 1 and in Galatians 3, Paul's making a point about how 
Jesus justifies us, how Jesus forgives us of our sins when we confess our sins. That Jesus is the one who is able to forgive us, to make us right in the eyes of God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the idea is that as we continue to trust in Jesus as Christians, the Holy Spirit purifies us or sanctifies us, that we're still in this process of being saved by the grace of Christ on a daily basis. It's not just that we're forgiven of past sins, but we're being made into a holy people to walk with God each and every day. The just live by faith. We're justified by faith, we're sanctified by faith, and it's faith in God's word. In Habakkuk's case, those who read the prophecy of this book, if they read and understood that judgment was coming from the Babylonians upon the city of Jerusalem, and they went, ah, no. I mean, our families have been here a long time. We've been through some rough patches. We're going to be okay here. If generations of our family have lived in Jerusalem, Habakkuk, you don't know what you're talking about. That was haughtiness, that was pride, that was arrogance on their part, okay? If they were too proud to leave the city of Jerusalem when God told them destruction was coming, there was only one result that they were going to end up with. That was personal death and personal destruction. And Habakkuk even declared why through the Lord. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. The Jewish people had come to believe some very strange and interesting things. They thought in the city of Jerusalem where the temple of God is, this is where God's presence rests, so we can stay in Jerusalem and do whatever we want to. God's never going to destroy this city. We're going to be fine. We can live however we want to because God's presence is resting here in this city. And so they began to act and behave in all kinds of wicked, immoral, and evil ways. Uh, they began to steal from the poor. They began to oppress the poor even more. They began to worship idols. They began to live in a way that didn't honor and glorify God, but in a way that they were pleasing only themselves. And as they lived this way, the whole time, because God's presence dwelt in Jerusalem, he saw and heard everything that they did and everything that they said. And his heart was grieved. And instead of thinking God's presence is here in Jerusalem, our lives should be different than all the other peoples of the earth. We should worship him. They thought, well, God's presence is here in Jerusalem. We can live our lives however we want to, and nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. See how backwards this way of thinking is? In fact, later on in the book of Romans, we'll study it in Sunday school together. Some, some Christians get the idea sometimes, I've been saved by grace through faith. I'm going to heaven when I die, so I might as well live it up now. Live for the joy of the moment. Experience all the pleasure on this earth that I want to. I know Jesus, so it's all good. I can steal, I can lie, I can cheat, I can commit adultery, I can commit gross sexual sin, I can get drunk, I can do drugs, I can do all of these things because I trusted Jesus to save me. And Paul says, no, that's not it. In fact, Paul uses some very strong language in the book of Romans when he says, should we sin just so that God's grace can abound? And he says, no, 
may it not never be, real good English, but it was really good Greek when he wrote it that way. May it not never be. This is the same kind of mindset that these Jewish people had had. They had become proud in their hearts because their souls were not right within them. Even though they were God's chosen people, they were God's chosen people because God loved them first, not because they loved God first. And they had failed to realize and to remember that it was only because of God's grace that they were God's people in the first place. They hadn't earned the right to become God's people. They hadn't earned the right to be the chosen race of the earth. God had chosen them for his special purpose to share and show his glory to the world. So Habakkuk said this, the righteous will live by his faith. Really, the, the beginning of verse 4 is the other side of the coin. The wicked will die because of his sin. But the righteous will live by faith. If people stayed in Jerusalem, they would die. Because their hearts were too proud to admit they had sinned. And to admit that the only way of escape was to flee Jerusalem. Habakkuk said this, that the righteous will live by his faith. And I want you to stop and think about how difficult this would have been for Habakkuk to have to hear. He had grown up as a God-fearing Jewish person. And sure, like every other Jewish person, or like every other person of any race in any time, he hadn't been a perfect man. He'd sinned at some point. But we know from his writing here that he loved the Lord. And that he could even see and sense that not everything was right with God's people and the way that they were living their lives. Habakkuk had worshipped at the temple. Habakkuk had heard King Josiah, most likely, depending on when you date his book, had heard King Josiah bring about these reforms of tearing down the altars on the high places and worshiping the Lord only at the temple in Jerusalem, of reading God's law and honoring God as a holy God who wanted his people to be holy. Habakkuk knew the story all too well about how the temple had been in fallen disrepair and how Josiah had ordered the priests to go in and to, to renovate and reconstruct the temple that had lain in ruins and he heard the story about the priest who had gotten into the wall of the temple and found a copy of God's scroll of the book of the law. The temple meant the world to Habakkuk, just like it did to other Jews living in this day and time. And when the Lord said, if you want to live, you need to listen to my word and obey, Habakkuk went, I mean, there, there are only two options for Habakkuk. This way, he could stay in Jerusalem and watch the city and the, the temple that he loved be destroyed, and he himself could be destroyed, or he could take God at his word, and he could flee to the mountains. And still his heart would break as the city that he loved would be destroyed, and as the temple which he had grown up worshiping would be laid waste. But he would live if he would trust the Lord. He would live if he would have faith in what God had told him was going to happen. 
The righteous will live by his faith. So I'm going to give you three points of application to move us from Habakkuk's time with the destruction of Jerusalem to our time here on this earth. The righteous will live by his faith. First is this. God promises judgment on those who disobey him. He promises judgment on those who disobey him. And it's not because he hates people. It's because he loves people. I mean, I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. In the courtroom down the street from us, if somebody has committed a crime and they go and stand before the judge in court, do you think the judge would be a righteous judge if he looked at that person who had done something horribly wrong and said, you know what, this isn't really a big deal. I know you. I like your parents. You got enough money to get yourself out of this. Let's just pretend it never happened. Go on ahead and go. Would that be a righteous judge? No. A judge can show mercy, and the Lord does show mercy as a perfect judge. But a judge administers justice. If God did not punish sin, people would have destroyed themselves a long time ago. People are already moving so far away from God. I don't think we have to really even talk about that with the stuff that we see in the news in our culture. But, or maybe we do. Isn't it sad when we have to read in the news that at a school there is a principal who was forced to resign because a woman who said she was a man wanted to use the boys' restroom. And the principal said, no, that's not going to happen today. And he was ousted from his job because he defined a gender according to biblical standards. This is the type of world in which we're living. And if God isn't faithful to say what is right and to stand by what is right and to judge people when they do what's wrong and stand against him, the righteous judge, there's a big problem. But God is not an unrighteous judge. He's just. He punishes sin. There is judgment for the wrong that we do. If the righteous are going to live by faith, we have to believe that God is a righteous judge who's going to judge sin. In this day and time, it looked like God sending the Babylonians to lead the Jews away into captivity. It looked like uh, the king of Babylon coming in and destroying the city of Jerusalem. In our day and time, and ultimately in the end, it looks like this. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, the sheep and the goats are going to be separated. Those who have believed in Christ that he died for their sins and rose again are going to go with him into paradise in heaven for eternity. And those who have rejected him or have not believed in him are going to spend eternity separated from him in torment in a place called hell. God is a perfect judge. Judgment is coming. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Second, There is no escaping God's judgment. 
There is no escaping God's judgment. First, God judges sin. Second, there is no escaping God's judgment. You can say whatever you want to. You can do whatever you want to. You can think it's not going to happen. You can start to choose to believe something else. But the judgment is certain. The judgment is clear. And here's how we know this. Did Jesus Christ come to this earth around 2,000 years ago and die on the cross for our sins and rise again? Yes, he did. Did Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago, after his death, burial, and resurrection, ascend back into heaven? Yes, he did. And you know what he said just before he ascended into heaven? He talked to his disciples and he, he said, You shall be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's what you're going to do. And he went up into heaven. And there were angels standing there on this mountain when Jesus ascended into heaven. And they looked at all of Jesus' followers, all of his disciples. And they said, guys, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? That same Jesus that you saw go up there is coming back. Listen, we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We ought to believe Jesus is coming back. I mean, that is a certainty. It's not a question. There's not a doubt. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to divide the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, the wicked from those who have faith in him. God judges sin. Judgment is certain. There's no escaping judgment. The third is this. The only way the only way to be shown mercy in God's judgment is to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way to be shown mercy in God's judgment is to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is quoted in the New Testament, this is really the point that's being made. The just live by faith in Jesus. The just live. The just, the righteous live by believing Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. Because here's the thing, if God judges sin, and we're sinners, and God's a perfect and a righteous judge, he's not just going to look at us and say, well, Jake, I think I like you, buddy. You grow a pretty nice beard. You're a Cardinals fan. You're a nice guy. I'm just going to let you into heaven. That is not how it's going to work. God's a perfect judge. The only way that I can be made righteous is if I trust in the good news that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. If judgment is certain, if there's no escaping it, then the only thing that I can do is face judgment. And I can either face judgment by standing before God's throne one day giving an account for all the sins that I've done, and I know that I'm going to be found guilty, or I can face judgment by owning up to the fact that I am a sinner and that Jesus Christ paid the penalty and the punishment for my sins when he died on the cross. And at that point, I can face the judgment of the Lord because Jesus took the punishment for me upon the cross. So it's either one day when Jesus returns, I can go, oh, Oh, Lord, I've messed up and I'm guilty. Or here and now, I can say, God, I'm, I stand guilty before you, and you know it. God, I, I trust that Jesus died for my sins because I am a sinner. 
I made that decision a long time ago to trust in Christ. But that is not a faith that ended when I became a Christian at six. It's a faith that began when I became a Christian at the age of six. Do you notice that the righteous or the just continue living by faith? I go through each and every day as a Christ follower, trusting that God is a judge who judges sin, that judgment is inescapable, but that only in Jesus, only in Jesus and because of what Jesus has done for me, can I be forgiven of my sin and set free from my sin so that I can live a life that is pleasing in God's sight, pleasing in God's eyes. If you ever read through the, ba- the book of Habakkuk, I-, I challenge you to do it sometimes. It's only three short chapters. What you'll find at the end of the story, Habakkuk uh, makes this comment in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. He says, Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on high places. The picture is of a deer going up a mountain and you know how deer and maybe you've seen uh, mountain goats or these bighorn sheep out in Colorado before their feet are made in such a way that they're able to grip and to grasp on these slippery slopes as they make their way up the mountain you know where Habakkuk ended up he ended up taking God at his word after he wrote down this prophecy and man when he realized that destruction was coming He chose to believe. He chose to have faith in God's word. Because he was righteous, not proud in his heart, but humble enough to say, God, we failed you as a people. God, judgment is coming. He fled to the mountains, and he began to climb as a sheep, as a goat, as a deer. And the Lord made his feet like hind's feet so that he could walk on the high places, so that he could be spared and saved from God's judgment that was coming. Habakkuk chose to live. And the only way he could live was by faith in God's word. I ask you this question tonight as I close. Are you living by faith in God's word? Do you know that God is a just judge? Do you know that there's no escaping the certainty of judgment? And do you know that the only way you can receive mercy in God's judgment is by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross? Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ was buried and Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that you could live. The righteous live by faith. Father God, we thank you so much for this time we've had to come together tonight and study your word. Lord, I pray that we'd take this message from the prophet Habakkuk to heart. God, even though we're not Jews living in the city of Jerusalem, awaiting the judgment of a Babylonian empire, we are sinners living on this earth, awaiting the day that your son Jesus returns to judge sin to bring about his righteous reign. And so God, I pray, if there's anybody here tonight who has not yet professed faith in Jesus Christ, that they would choose to do so so that they can live. God, I pray that you would be with those here in this room tonight who have trusted in Jesus Christ. 
that they would remember that living by faith is a daily and ongoing process. Like Hebrews chapter 10 talks about. It's not just that we trusted Jesus died for our sins so we can live however we want to now. It's that we trusted Jesus died for our sins and we live how you want us to now because we know one day we're going to live with you in eternity. God, may we, each and every one of us here tonight, live by faith. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray.